Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a very special Thanksgiving tribute to the great Rush Limbaugh. Rush is somebody that I listened to for many, many years. He's someone that I can always kind of hear in the back of my head. The way that he always had his incredible takes on things, the way that he always did his play-by-play, the way that he talked to the ditto heads, the way that he would grasp his papers in his formerly nicotine-stained fingers. We remember it all. And so today, on this Thanksgiving, I wanted to do something as a tribute to Rush, the true story of Thanksgiving. I also want to remind you that Friday, Friday will be the day that you need to go and get your tickets. Black Friday for AmericaFest, AmFest.com. We're going to be running a great special with promo code POSO. Make sure you get them. It's going to run all the way through this weekend. Just hold your fire. Hold your fire. Friday is the day. It all goes down. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard a very special Thanksgiving edition of Human Events Daily. Now, you may have been like me, and you remember that every Thanksgiving, or around Thanksgiving time, every year, there used to be a story that was told across the radio in this country called the true story of Thanksgiving, and it was read by none other than the great Rush Limbaugh. Now, we lost Rush recently. And if you were like me, I first started listening to Rush probably about 2003, 2004. And when I was in college, I used to I used to sneak in uh, with a, a headphone in my ear when I was in the back of the lecture hall and just be listening to Rush 12 to 3, 12 to 3, 12 to 3 every day. Even when I was on deployment, when I was living overseas, I would download the Rush 24-7 Listen every day. And every year on Thanksgiving, Rush used to read the story of the true Thanksgiving, the true story of Thanksgiving. And I thought, it's so terrible that that story isn't being told this year. And so by way of tribute to Rush Limbaugh, we've got here a copy of his last reading of the true story of Thanksgiving. And I'm going to read it to you. Because it's the story that Rush said every year for 31 years. And it's a story that deserves to be heard. So, here we go. Our Thanksgiving tribute to Rush Limbaugh. The pilgrims arrived here after an arduous trip across the Atlantic Ocean. They didn't know why they were here. Had no idea what to do. They had nothing. The Indians took pity on them. The Indians saw them. The Indians saved them. The Indians taught them how to do things they didn't know how to do, like grow food, catch beavers, stuff like that. The Indians saved them, and the pilgrims thanked them by growing a whole bunch of food and having the big feast. So the story of Thanksgiving that's taught is basically how without the Native Americans, there wouldn't be a country because the pilgrims would have died. At least the pilgrims were nice enough to pay the Indians back with a big Thanksgiving dinner. Well, that's not at all what happened. It's not even close to what happened, which is why Rush decided to write about it. And he gets into this in his Revere books. And he goes into great detail about some of the Native Americans who provided assistance to the arriving pilgrims, particularly a young native by the name of Squanto. Now, Rush was doing show prep, and he came across a story from the Federalist, and he quotes from it all the time. And here's the point, folks. Here's the point. 
It's right out of that book. And it's right out of the book. And because there's a whole lot of discussion of Squanto, who he was, what he did, how he helped, the details. The point is the true story of Thanksgiving is spreading. And I couldn't be happier about that. The bottom line, it's spreading. And let's cut to the chase into the reading of the text. Going back to the very early days of the pilgrims arriving at Plymouth Rock is that socialism failed. Well, we are way down the road towards socialism anyway. And it's crucially important here for people to understand this. It's not antiquated. It's not a cliche. It's not something that you can make fun of people about. You know, it used to be when Rush first started the show in the late 80s, early 90s, if you dared to refer to the Soviet Union as communist, people would make fun of you. They'd say, oh, come on, Rush. You see a communist behind every rock. And they tried to ridicule you out of identifying communists and communism. Castro, the chai comes, but Rush never buckled. A lot of people did, and they're doing it now. If you say the United States and the liberals are on the path to socialism, they will make fun of you and they mock you. They'll say, come on, you don't believe that. You can't believe that. That's just silly. They try to mock you, try to make fun of you, to silence you. But folks, it's real now. The story of the pilgrims begins in the early part of the 17th century. The Church of England under King James I was persecuting anyone and everyone who did not recognize the church's absolute civil and spiritual authority, basically the state. Those who challenged ecclesiastical authority and those who believed strongly in freedom of worship were hunted down. This is England in the 1600s. They were hunted down and imprisoned and sometimes executed for their beliefs. A group of separatists, people who didn't want any part of this, first fled to Holland. They liked wooden shoes and cheese, and they established a community. They were there for 11 years. After 11 years, about 40 of these separatists, who liked wooden shoes and cheese, agreed to make a perilous journey to the new world. They had heard about it, some new, exciting place that hadn't been developed, and they knew they would face hardships, hardships like you and I don't know, and I'm not preaching to you. I'm just telling you, we don't know the hardship these people endured, we can't. We are way too advanced now. People who lived in the 1600s would not believe life today. Try to explain flight, jet travel, they wouldn't understand it. They would know, face hardships, but paramount importance to them was living freely and worshiping God according to the dictates of their own consciences and their own beliefs. And that's what they were denied, the freedom to do in England. On August 1st, 1620, the Mayflower set sail. It carried a total of 102 passengers, including 40 of these separatists, the pilgrims. There were just 40 of them. They were led by William Bradford on the journey across the Atlantic. You talk about something that had to be frightening and scary. The Mayflower was not much bigger than a 50-foot boat and 102 people on it. On the journey, Bradford set up an agreement, a contract, if you will, that established just and equal laws for all 40 members of the pilgrim community, irrespective of their religious beliefs. It didn't matter what their religious beliefs were. These are the laws they were all agreeing to live by. Where did the revolutionary ideas in these laws come from? We're talking about the Mayflower Compact. That's what Bradford wrote. The Mayflower Contract derived from the Bible. The pilgrims were a people completely steeped in the lessons of the Old and New Testaments. They were a devoutly religious people. No matter what else is said about them, and even that is denied, they were devoutly religious. And they looked to the ancient Israelites for their example. And because of the biblical precedent set forth in Scripture, they never doubted that their experiment would work. They never doubted that they would get to the new world. They never doubted that once they got there, they would thrive. The journey was long. It was arduous. It was dangerous. And when they finally landed... When the pilgrims finally landed in New England in November, according to William Bradford's detailed journal, they found a cold, barren, desolate wilderness. Imagine New England as it exists today, but nothing but rocks, forest, undeveloped nature in November. And it's getting colder. There were no friends to greet them. There was no shelter of any kind other than hiding under a tree. There was nothing. 
It was desolate. No hotels, no inns, no places to clean up, no houses. Real hardship. The sacrifice that they had made for the freedom to worship was just beginning. During that first winter, remember, they arrive in November. During that first winter, half of them, including Bradford's own wife, died of starvation, of sickness, exposure to the elements. Now we're getting close to what you were taught in school when spring finally came. And by the way, writing that doesn't do it justice. Spring didn't just finally come. It was survival. It was an act of survival that you and I cannot possibly relate to or understand. American special forces can, military people can, who've been trained, can understand what the pilgrims were. But you and I, we can't. We've never done anything like that first winter in the new world. But they survived it. Spring finally came. They did meet the Indians, the Native Americans who were there, who did help them in planting corn and fishing for cod. They showed them where the beavers were. They could be skinned for coats and other things. Animal rights people aren't going to like some of this story. But it did happen. Folks, stay right there. We're going to be right back with more of Rush Limbaugh's true story of Thanksgiving. Ladies and gentlemen, as we've been talking about, it seems like every day, even now, brings a new crisis. If it's not the current diesel fuel crisis, it's the threat of the unthinkable happening. Our food supply chain is more, more fragile than ever, and that means you can't take any chances. Get yourself some emergency backup food from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. The pilgrims didn't have this, but you can. This is the kind of food that doesn't spoil in your pantry like soup and macaroni do. It stays fresh for up to 25 years, so it will be there when you need it. Now, right now, My Patriot Supply is knocking $250 off their three-month emergency food kit. Go to preparewithposo.com to get this amazing discount. It's the lowest price since 2019, and it won't be around for long. My Patriot Supply wants to help families more by charging less. So drop what you're doing and go to preparewithposo.com. Your order ships fast and free in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Get enough for the whole family so you don't run out. Go to preparewithposo.com, preparewithposo.com. And the pilgrims, I bet they wish they had that. They don't. Now, though, at our point in the story, as we continue our tribute, Thanksgiving tribute to Rush Limbaugh, let's get back into it. Even with their degree of assistance from the Native Americans, there wasn't any prosperity yet. Yes, they had the Mayflower Compact. They had these laws they were living by. But there was no prosperity, and I wonder why. Now, this is important to understand, folks, because this is where modern American history lessons end. With the Indians teaching the pilgrims how to eat and how to fish and skin beavers and all that, that's where it ends. That's the feel-good story. But that doesn't even get close to the true story. You know, Thanksgiving is actually explained in some textbooks as a holiday for which the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians for saving their lives. It wasn't that. That, that happened. But Thanksgiving was a devout expression of gratitude. The pilgrims to God for their survival and everything that was a part of it. Now, here's the part that gets admitted. The original contract the pilgrims entered into back in Holland, they had sponsors. They didn't have money to do this trip on their own. They had sponsors. There were merchant sponsors in London and Holland, and these merchant sponsors demanded that everything the pilgrims produced in the New World would go into a common store, a single bank, if you will, and that each member of the pilgrim community was entitled to one share. So everybody had an equal share of whatever was in that bank. All of the land they cleared, all of the houses they built belonged to that bank, to the community as well, and they were going to distribute it equally because they were going to be fair. So all of the land that they cleared and all the houses they built belonged to everybody, belonged to the community, belonged to the bank, belonged to the common store. Nobody owned anything. They just had an equal share in it. It was a commune. 
the pilgrims established a commune, essentially, the forerunner of the communes we saw in the 60s and 70s out in California. They even had their own organic vegetables, by the way. Yep, pilgrims were the forerunners of organic vegetables, of course, because what else could there be? No such thing as anything processed back then. Now, William Bradford, who'd become the governor of the colony because he was the leader, recognized that this was not going to work. This was costly and it was destructive and it just wasn't working. Why? It was collectivism. It was socialism. It was not working. That first winter had taken a lot of lives. The manpower was greatly reduced. So Bradford decided to take bold action. And that is what we are going to get into. William Bradford, the governor of the Pilgrim community, saw that none of it was working. Mayfair conflict, not working. This idea that everyone had been given a single share of stock in the common store, this is collectivism. It was costly and destructive. And it's just as costly and destructive as it's been to anyone who's ever tried it. So Bradford decided, let's scrub it. He threw it out and he took bold action. He assigned a plot of land to each family. Each family was given one plot of land that they could work, manage however they wanted. Now, if they just wanted to sit on it and get fat, dumb, happy, lazy, they could. And if they wanted to develop it, if they wanted to grow corn, whatever on it, they could. If they wanted to build on it, they could do that too. If they wanted to turn it into a quasi-business, they could do whatever they wanted with it. He turned loose the power of the capitalist marketplace. As long before Karl Marx was even born, long before Karl Marx was a sperm cell in his father's dreams, the pilgrims had discovered and experimented with what could only be described as socialism. And they found out it don't work. Now, it wasn't called that then, but that's exactly what it was. Everyone was given an equal share. And you know what happened? Nobody did anything because there's no incentive. Nothing worked. Nothing happened. What Bradford and his community found was that the most creative and industrious people had no incentive to work any harder than anyone else, unless they could utilize the power of personal motivation. But while most of the rest of the world has been experimenting with socialism for over 100 years, trying to refine it, perfect it, reinvent it, the pilgrims decided early on to scrap it permanently. What Bradford wrote about this social experiment should be in every school child's history lesson. If it were, we might prevent much needless suffering. If the true story of Thanksgiving had been taught for years and years. So William Bradford, after putting everybody into the common store, the Mayflower Compact, they wanted to be fair. They wanted everyone to have one common share of everything that happened and it totally bombed. It totally didn't work. No prosperity, no creativity, no incentives. Here's what Bradford specifically wrote about the failure. For this community, so far as it was, was found to breed much confusion and discontent. They were not happy. This community was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been otherwise to their benefit and comfort. In other words, nothing worked. The way they set it up killed and discouraged work. There was no need. For young men that were most able and fit for labor and service sat around and did nothing. They should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without being paid for it. Why should they do that? So they didn't. That was thought injustice. Why should you work for other people when you can't work for yourself? What's the point? Do you hear what he's saying, ladies and gentlemen? The pilgrims found that people could not be expected to do their best work without incentive. So what does Bradford's community do next? They unharness the power of good old free enterprise, the principle of private property all the way back in the 1600s. And it's incredible. So every family was assigned its own plot of land and they could do whatever they wanted to it. This had very good success, wrote Bradford, for it made all hands industrious. 
so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. So when profit was introduced, when the opportunity to prosper was introduced, it went gangbusters. And that, my friends, is the true story of Thanksgiving. Now, this is where it gets really good, folks. If you're laboring under the misconception, as I was, as I was taught in school, so they set up trading posts and exchanged goods with the Indians. And after they enjoyed this prosperity, it was not the Indians that brought them to prosperity. And that's not said to insult anyone. The Indians assisted in their rival, undeniably. But what led to prosperity for these original settlers was that the common store had failed. Socialism didn't work. And it's when they introduced what turned out to be an early form of capitalism. They didn't have a name for it. But when they turned loose individual incentive, keep what you produce, sell what you don't need, it went crazy. This was not something they were taught by anyone. Self-reliance, self-experience. It wasn't the Native Americans. The no one ever said, put this down. Don't misunderstand. They did a lot of things to help them, which we can talk about, but it was their own industriousness. They set up trading posts, exchanged goods with the Indians. They sold stuff to them. With those profits, they were allowed to pay off their debts to the merchants. Those were the sponsors back in London and Holland. And you know what? The success of that colony after they abandoned socialism and they tried was essentially capitalism, that spread throughout the whole old world, that this massive amount of prosperity was there for the taking, and the new world flooded with new arrivals. I'll explain that more in the final segment. Well, all it took was prosperity, and the word spreading across the Atlantic Ocean of how there was prosperity and it was there for the taking. All you had to do was get there and give it a shot. The lesson is the true story of Thanksgiving William Bradford and his pilgrim community were thanking God for the blessings on their community after the first miserable winter of a documented failure brought upon by their attempt at fairness and equality, which was socialism. It didn't work. Only when they abandoned it did it work. And I need to say it again because I don't want people to misunderstand and get their noses out of joint. The Native Americans, the indigenous people, whatever you want to call them, they were of considerable assistance, and they were friendly when the pilgrims arrived, but they had little, if anything, to do with the prosperity that occurred. We're talking about the prosperity, because that was the result of Bradford and the pilgrim leadership deciding to change their structure, the Mayflower Compact. Now, the natives assisted, naturally. I can't deny that. They taught them to fish and this kind of thing, and that led them to be productive, undeniably so. But it was the pilgrim community itself which experienced this massive prosperity, the word of which spread all the way back to the old world, Europe, across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Federalist has a story on this, and in it, they describe much of what we did in Rush's second book that dealt with it, dealt with it and that was the children's book, Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. That book goes into great detail about how the Indians did provide assistance, what kind of assistance it was, how valuable it was, how crucial it was. In Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims, they focused on Native American by the name of Squanto. Now, as I told you, during the winter of 1620, only 44 out of the original 102 pilgrims survived, including their first elected governor of the colony, John Carver. And it was an Indian named Squanto came to the rescue. And I say this, as I say, explored in great detail, and again, uh, Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. Squanto was no ordinary native. Early settlers in 1610 had captured him and sold him into slavery. A group of Catholic friars freed him and brought him back to England, where he learned to speak English. In 1618, serving as an interpreter on an English ship, he was brought back to the New World. It was Squanto 
who was a famous Native American in his own right in the Pilgrim story, who taught the Pilgrims how to plant and fish and skin beavers. It was Guanto who brokered the peace treaty between the Pilgrims and other Indian tribes. There was more than one tribe of Indians. It wasn't copacetic. It wasn't friendly. It wasn't one with nature or anything like the multiculturalists would have you believe. There were squabbles. There were power struggles, turf battles, wars. It was human. The Indians, the pilgrims, everybody was scrambling for power and survival. Survivability was the name of the game, and it was not guaranteed. Now, many of the pilgrims literally believed that God had sent Squanto to save them. And they believed, the pilgrims believed, that without Squanto, they never would have survived or thrived. And they experienced a tremendous harvest in 1621. And that's the big gathering that is taught in the history books, the native Indians and the pilgrims joining together for a huge feast, which is the foundational story of the Thanksgiving that's taught in public schools. But again, that is not the real story of Thanksgiving that the textbooks banned. It did happen, but it's so much more so than that. And Rush used to love taking the opportunity every year to explain the truth of, especially now, especially the fallout and everything that's happened to us of one of the most important legacies of early settlers who experimented with socialism in the 1620s that didn't work and that private property rights, personal responsibility, two pillars of a free market economy, saved Plymouth Colony from extinction, laid the economic foundation for a free and prosperous nation that we all enjoy today. And that is exactly right. And that's the true story of Thanksgiving. And that has been what should have been shared with you every Thanksgiving for the past 31 years. And so folks, Rush used to go and take time every year, either on Thanksgiving or right before Thanksgiving, and he would tell the story. And so that was the last time that Rush told the story. And I wanted to read it to you because when we look at where we are as a country right now and where we look at how our communities are, how they're breaking, how under the weight of this federal government and massive government overreach, wokeness and everything else that's just pushing and pervading into our lives. We feel like we don't have the ability to have any kind of ownership in the system. Hard work, hard work isn't anything that, that kids or teenagers or anyone are told and taught is something to aspire to. Get rich quick is the name of the day whether it's crypto, whether it's NFTs, whether it's social media, just get rich as fast as possible and who cares? Who cares about everything else? Here's the issue with that. When you have a system that's totally set up to deprive regular people of ownership in that society, then you lose the ability to have a true community. And so when I think of Thanksgiving, when I think of my family's Thanksgiving, I hope when you guys think of yours, when we go around the table, we always do say what we're thankful for. Be thankful that you live in this country, but also be thankful for the fact that we have the ability to bring our families together and unite those bonds, whether, and whether it's someone you met at church, whether it's family that you've known your whole life, whether it's friends that have become family, whether if you're like me, got married to your soulmate, you're having your family, you're starting your family with them, that this is the way that cohesive societies are built and sustained. And the pilgrims found this out. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that your society also shouldn't care. And, 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 and some people 
you know, the conservatarians go off on this and they say, and that's why we should end all government programs and all public assistance. It's no, 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 right? Help people who need it. Not largesse, not massive unfunded welfare programs for just anybody who requests it. No, help people who need it. That's where we start. That's where we end. That should be something that we do. But at the same time, we have to understand that it's through market competition, going back to those ancient ideals of private property, perseverance, self-reliance. That's how our country was founded. And those are the people who came from Europe to this land, this land here, and founded America. And so Thanksgiving Day, like Columbus Day, should always be remembered and celebrated as giving thanks to God for our founding fathers, for the settlers who came here before us, for the colonists, for every single ancestor we have that came to this land and built this nation from nothing, from absolutely nothing. When we talk about Western society, when we talk about Western civilization, we have to remember our history because we stand on the shoulders of giants, giants like these pilgrims. And that's why we tell the story. And that's why I wanted to pay tribute to Russ Limbaugh today by reading the true story of Thanksgiving, which is a true story that affects us all. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.